Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Crypto prices plow ahead despite the Genesis bankruptcy. The first court hearing comes later today. We'll take stock of the news and the markets live with Benoit Bosk from GSR. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Let's jump straight in to the latest price analysis. The total crypto market cap recently reclaimed the $1 trillion mark and continues to sit above it. That was in large part thanks to another great week for Bitcoin. The largest cryptocurrency has gained 9% on a trailing seven-day basis. Bitcoin is currently trading higher today, around $22,900. It hit $23,200 over the weekend, its highest price since August. Crypto Slate has highlighted some interesting data from Glassnode on institutional investors in Bitcoin. Following the Genesis bankruptcy filing, $200 million worth of spot Bitcoin was transferred onto Binance on January 20th. Meanwhile, Ether staking, excuse me, meanwhile, Ether is trading lower on a 24-hour basis. Ether has also not had as great a week as Bitcoin on a weekly basis. Ether has gained some 5% in that time frame, it's currently trading just above $1,600. One final token we're looking at is GMT. It's the native token of Steppen, the Solana-based lifestyle app with GameFi elements. It's the best performer today, up 18% on a 24-hour basis. Real Vision Crypto Pro partner Delphi Digital says both NFTs and GameFi have been seeing a recovery of inflows. Now let's bring in our guest. Benoit Bosk is the head of global product at GSR, the crypto market making and trading firm. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto, Benoit. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you um, here. A little bit of housekeeping been... for our viewers before we begin. Make sure to put your questions down in the live chat on Real Vision website and on YouTube. You can also post them in our Discord channel. We'll be asking these questions on the air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is the membership is free. With that said, let's jump back in with Benoit. Uh, Benoit, let's look at some of our latest news stories today. Cointelegraph says the first court hearing in the Genesis bankruptcy is scheduled in around two hours in Manhattan. 
Genesis Global Hold Co. and two of its lending partner subsidiaries, Genesis Global Capital and Genesis Asia Pacific, collectively known as Genesis Capital, filed for bankruptcy late Thursday. I know there are a lot of names here and it gets confusing, uh, but these are the operating entities. Genesis's parent company, Digital Currency Group, released a statement saying DCG had no involvement in the decision by Genesis to file for bankruptcy. Genesis's trading arm continues to operate. That part of the business was not included in the chapter 11 filing. Uh, boy, Benoit, a, a complicated story. Give us a, an overall sense of where you think we are right now uh, with crypto markets and what's driving them. And then we'll talk a little bit more specifically about Genesis. Yes, I was going to add, uh, thank you so much for having me in a week where we've had rallies and where everything is looking green, um, mostly green on the on the on the on the on the window but um specifically after ftx and the repercussions and genesis is kind of like one of the latest victims to i would say the old slew of events from crypto in 2022 that really started with you know celsius luna terra blockfi three arrows right. and continuing into ftx and now genesis like i said kind of the last victim and I think you're seeing some pretty interesting uh, back and forth between them and some of their creditors as well. The market, that said, has mostly shrugged off any bad news beginning of this year. Note that the, the Chinese New Year is always particularly active, mm -hmm. but certainly like leading up this year, it's been really a, a really notable outperformance not one that we'd necessarily expected. I thought we might see 15,000 in Bitcoin prices before we see 20,000. But now that we have seen 20,000, it seems more likely to me that we continue on this momentum and head towards 30 rather than go back to 15. But again, I think uh, you'd want to have an abundance of caution. Like this is all happened very rapidly over the past couple of weeks. What's been interesting is indeed Bitcoin is the largest cryptocurrency and has allowed us to take back that one trillion market cap, but it's spread to not so much Ethereum, but a lot of the DeFi primitives. I think you've seen uh, Uniswap tokens, you've seen uh, Curve tokens all perform very well. Also, you've seen layer twos, optimism, um, you know, Polygon certainly very strong this year. And then it spread out to, I think, the newest and shiniest layer ones, Aptos, I think, at the biggest performance for the past uh, for the past week, rallying over two-thirds of the price. And and I, I, th I think this says something about the kind of investors that are getting involved in crypto right now. You're um, seeing people that are interested in DeFi, and certainly, you know, we've had a lot of criticism on the centralized actors last year. And, and so I think the growth of DeFi from here on could be pretty staggering. You have, you, you have investors that seem to be more sophisticated that aren't just going for, for the standard names. As you said, Bitcoin went up 10%, but Ethereum only 5%. And something like I said, Aptos 65%. Um, some of the other like GMT and others, like, the, uh, like Solana certainly had a, a big rally since Vitalik posted his tweet in December last year. It was sub $10, now trading around 25 I think you're seeing a lot of very interesting narratives in crypto at the moment. 
um, now on Genesis, though, <laughs> yes, to, 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 to speak about them, I was just mentioning earlier, they were founded about 10 years ago, so was GSR, and I suspect they would have wished a very different type of anniversary. Their, um, their interim CEO, there are mentioned that he wanted a quick uh, bankruptcy process. He wanted a quick exit, but you know, in everyone's experience, those things are never that quick and that fast. And I would say that this one has been particularly messy from the start with these back and forth from Gemini, but you've also had Cumberland and Miran Ventures recently criticizing the bankruptcy filings as inaccurate. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that first meeting today, uh, as it will probably lay out some of those timelines and some of the expectations for the way that the, uh, you know, the way that the justice side wants to proceed with it. Well, Benoit, that's a, a very sort of clear and elegant sketch of your view of what you think is happening in markets right now and some great analysis uh, on your view on what's happening at Genesis. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of the business. I don't want to overstate the similarities, uh, but GSR and Genesis are in at least similar business lines. Talk a little bit about what market making is in the crypto space, liquidity provision, and its role in efficient markets in crypto and why it's so important for people who may not have a background in banking. Absolutely, and you're right to, to say those are absolutely my views. Um, GSR is a crypto market maker, and what that means is there is, there is a difference between traditional markets, market making, where you might make markets for a stock like Apple or Google, where you'll uh, show an offer and a bid, and you know a price at which you're willing to sell that share, and a price at which you're willing to buy, yeah, uh, or yeah. a share in that company. The equity market through the repo system as a way for companies who don't own the stock to sell it as they'll be able to borrow and then, you know, restitute it later. In crypto, you don't have that process. And market making takes a very different shape. Mm -hmm. When those tokens come to eat the market or, you know, they get first listed, the only person who could sell them are people who own them. And typically that's a very small group of people, especially as most of the investments are locked for a longer period of time. So protocols will launch through either their foundations or various entity might contract a market maker like GSR to help make sure that there is an offer and there is a bid and make sure that the token is highly investable. So when we discuss with our potential clients, we try to define what kind of liquidity they'd want to see, what kind of KPIs, key performance indicators we can show that would allow for this market to be highly tradable so that retail investors or institutional investors, when they come to look at the token and decide whether or not they might want to purchase um, that, that asset, will think that there's a minimum amount of slippage that they'll need to pay to get in the position. But similarly, should they decide to exit at a later stage, they should have a minimal amount of slippage to pay then. So this is the service that GSR provides. Again, has been providing for about 10 years. We have over 200 clients at the moment. 
uh, creating liquidity on both centralized and decentralized venues with dozens of exchanges where we integrated. And, and that's been really like our core business model. Now, as you mentioned, we also have other um, activity lines from venture investing to some ancillary services, but also a big part in OTC trading. OTC trading, as you mentioned, the arm that is responsible for it is not part of the Genesis bankruptcy. That said, in the overall context of what we've seen, again, post FTX, but really post 3AC, BlockFi, Voyager and others, you have to take into account the credit risk of your counterparties. Something that's pretty standard in traditional right. markets, but not so much in crypto. So we've seen a, an uptick, certainly, in transactions for us as a lot of market participants have moved away from riskier counterparties. And I think at this stage, that includes Genesis trading. Could you explain a little bit more about those separate operating entities and the distinct functions that they play in markets? Because I think it's something that's very confusing to a lot of viewers. I think it should be given this Genesis example where the parent <laughs> company has given loans to Genesis and vice versa in a way that um, like the idea is obviously to limit liability of each entity, but in order to do so, you'd have to prove that they are legitimately different and don't right. have, you know, it, which which sometimes may seem to be the case here, like a just ultimate beneficiary ownership that's pretty, pretty much the same. Hmm. And as long as you're not like, you know, lending to yourself and so on, there could be legitimate contracts where one entity will have its own set of assets and liabilities that will be isolated from the rest of the group. And I think Genesis, um, you know, is one portion, like, you know, the parent company DCG also owns Coindesk, also owns uh, Foundry, also owns, um, you know, Grayscale. So obviously they're trying to separate those companies so as to limit contagion and exposure. And you've seen in the FTX case, I believe once they listed for bankruptcy, there was an array of north of 100 there was over 100 different companies and entities and some right. of the most complex bankruptcy filings ever seen according yes. to according to what lawyer said at the time i i expect you'll see a similar complex corporate structure here well i don't want to draw any direct metaphors here between genesis and ftx and i think it's important to separate them obviously oh, no, two no, separate sorry. companies two separate situations but it, it, to talk about ftx a little bit and just what it implies about the broader crypto space you know one of the things that i've been saying on this show benoit is that people typically in on financial news networks refer, refer to ftx as an exchange or crypto exchange which is generally how it's known uh, but the reality is if you look at all the functions that were being performed by FTX, if it was a broker dealer, it was a, a venture capital shop, they did private equity, they had a uh, an affiliated effectively quant shop that was doing prop trading. I mean, in the traditional financial markets, 
these would all be totally segregated functions uh, that, you know, we could go on and on about these functions. They were a, uh, they were a custodial agent. I mean, they seemed like they just did everything in the space. And there's a reason we've learned these lessons here in traditional finance, uh, you know, dating back, uh, you know, 1907, 1929, 1987. We've seen how all of these things can go wrong, and that's why they're segregated. By the way, for our viewers uh, who are watching, uh, if it sounds like Benoit has a lot of markets experience, that's because he does uh, over a decade at Goldman Sachs uh, and Barclays, I believe, trading things like interest rate strategies, uh, exotics, uh, and energy. So, Benoit, how do you think about the state of play in these markets with your experience in this space? Because, you know, as you just alluded to there, uh, there are some things that it seems like lessons that we've learned in traditional finance that maybe haven't quite filtered over yet to the crypto side. I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying. I think crypto has been very worried in the past couple of years to three years and DeFi also about what it could do and not too much about what it should do. I believe that there are a lot of lessons from traditional finance that were looked at maybe with some skepticism as people were looking to disrupt and create a novel paradigm for finance. Now, some of those maybe, yes, like we are looking for more disintermediation. We are looking for a different you know, amount of transparency and so on. But some of the things from traditional finance are real lessons learned yeah. about how to operate with integrity. You cannot necessarily yeah. always re rely on self-regulation and integrity from all market participants. I think one of the examples that I like to point to is the recent Mango attacker um, and his hack where he created two accounts and by pushing one very negative, pushed the other to be very positive against which he could to take a loan um, and essentially drain that protocol. But if you were to try that in traditional finance, similarly, you would find that you can't open two accounts at Chase and, and pretend that one is very positive while right. you draw down from the other. I think similarly on FTX, right? There's a reason why exchanges in traditional finance do not operation, operate on some sort of fractional bank, uh, you know, fractional banking um, right. principle. There's, it, it's, it's all simple stuff. And I think last year showed our failure in being good self-regulated actors. And as a result, you will see for sure this year more actions from the Fed and SEC and potentially CFTC, mm. um, hopefully in the right way about regulating those markets and making sure to protect the end users. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, so many good points you raised there, Benoit. I mean, there's this this sort of element of the throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You know, I remember when I first got it started in the crypto space, covering this at CoinDesk actually back in 2017, where I was their first markets lead. I remember really thinking that the the great greatest part about crypto 
uh, was that they sort of started from scratch with a blank sheet of paper, threw everything away, and had engineers, uh, people who were brilliant, had brilliant computer science backgrounds, but no experience in finance, just dream everything up from the very beginning, from first principles, from a white sheet of paper. And the worst part about crypto is that they threw everything out the window and started dreaming up everything with a white sheet of paper with people who had no experience uh, in traditional finance. It, it, it's, it's such a strange sort of aspect because it cuts both ways. That's kind of the glory of the space and also in many ways the, the pain point as we see uh, here in these last few months. Certainly. And hopefully we've, we're, we're learning. We've learned, but we're still learning. And hopefully some of the contempt towards you know, some of the experience in traditional markets, some of the, uh, again, like, you know, the, the most boring aspects, I want to say, of traditional finance, the risk, the credit, the how you utilize collateral, uh, you work around margins, hopefully all of that percolates back in the space in the right way. And I think we are seeing an emphasis already um, among, like, you know, some of the new founders about projects that will have, you know, aspects around identity, uh, which could be used for KYC, AML, some definitely a lot of emphasis on transparency and trustless protocols, um, seeing everything on chain. So I, I think we're going to get there, but it's going to take a while for sure. And also, uh, yeah. to, again, I love our institutional adoption, which is the end goal here. Indeed. Talking of FTX and traditional finance, I wanted to touch on this story. CNBC reports U.S. federal prosecutors seized nearly $700 million in cash and assets connected to Sam Bankman-Fried, the former CEO, of course, of the crypto exchange FTX. According to court documents, the sum consists primarily of SBF's shares in the trading company Robinhood, obviously a publicly held uh, company here in the United States. The shares are part of a multi-party legal battle. Federal prosecutors have alleged that the Robinhood shares were purchased using allegedly stolen customer funds. Sam Bankman-Fried has denied misappropriating customer funds. Of course, it's important to point out that Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged but not yet convicted of any crime. Uh, one other story I wanted to touch on here, and I was hoping you could provide a little bit of context for this for me because I think it's a confusing one. Uh, Crypto-friendly banks have been battered lately, and now Binance says Signature Bank is no longer going to support transactions below $100,000 starting in February. Binance says this means some of its customers won't be able to make swift bank transfers to buy or sell digital assets with U.S. dollars. By the way, for those who don't know, SWIFT uh, is a back-end system, uh, a messaging system that banks use uh, to exchange funds uh, and other uh, financial transactions. However, Binance says only 0.01% of its customers will be affected. This is apparently part of a previously announced move by Signature to limit its exposure to the crypto industry. Shares of Signature Bank are trading higher on the NASDAQ uh, right now on the day. But while one of the confusing things to me uh, is this idea of limiting exposure by only allowing transactions above $100,000. There's something about this that just instinctively doesn't make sense to me. It's like if you're lowering your allocation to a particular uh, sector and you say, well, we're not going to do transactions except above a certain floor. Uh, give us a little bit of, of context on this if you have any. It just seems like such an unusual story. I agree. I think Signature uh, has definitely been also battered by, you know, they were close to FTX, they were close to all of those things, so they've certainly suffered also just the overall crypto exposure. But um, in, in this particular move, I think it has more to do with 
making sure that you protect most of the retail participants and that most of the people that you will be dealing with because of the amounts required will be accredited investors where they might limit their liability. Yeah, I guess one of the challenges, go ahead, please. No, no, I do, I do agree also with Binance that like, I don't, I don't expect that to have a massive impact on their business or most crypto exchange business, because I don't think that's a very common way of transacting. Yeah. What, what if any significance is the story has, do you think there is any impact that we're missing here? I think this is a, I think this is mostly an announcement to help them, you know, create a little bit of distance with the crypto market. Their shares have been punished for that exposure. You know, uh, I, I think they want to have this arm's length relationship at the moment. I suspect if crypto continues to rally and do and does well, Signature might, you know, put some more crypto positive headlines out. Let me ask you this uh, about the current rally that we're seeing in the crypto space. You know, one of the things that's interesting is uh, there's a, been a very clear, if you look at the historical correlation over the last, say, 18 or 24 months, uh, that shows a pretty strong correlation uh, between the NASDAQ uh, and crypto. Essentially, it appears as though it's trading as effectively as a risk on asset when you have uh, news that the central bank uh, here in the United States and abroad are going to be tightening, tighten less quickly, uh, meaning uh, that the inflation data comes out uh, sort of softer than expected, uh, that there's less expectation of central bank tightening, less expectation of central banks restricting financial conditions, crypto markets rally. In other words, it reacts like a traditional risk asset in many ways is the opposite of what many people uh, in the space had said earlier, uh, this idea that uh, digital assets, particularly Bitcoin, was an off-the-grid store of value, kind of a digital gold that would be inversely cor correlated uh, with traditional uh, risk assets. How do you think about that, broadly speaking, in terms of its overall correlation? Uh, you're, you're spot on. The correlation has been pretty high throughout all of 2022, and suddenly it's traded like like all risk assets, like uh, NASDAQ mostly. What's been interesting is that crypto proponents have always pointed out that it should be a anti-inflation, essentially like right. you know, digital gold store of value, uh, but it hasn't, it hasn't exactly happened that way so far. Right. The, the, the supply mechanism, although there, in spite of what, um, I know Jimmy Diamond said, there could be, there could be more Bitcoin that is actually coded in the, in the, in the, in the source code would be an interesting one, but, uh, but, the, the, but it hasn't really worked. But to be honest, we haven't really had crypto in an inflationary environment before now. So I do expect the decoupling to happen. Uh, I've, I've been surprised that I correlated it's stayed, but we're seeing also, you know, that crypto is more than just Bitcoin. And so if Bitcoin has right. traded more in line, suddenly we've had other uh, DeFi tokens, other layer ones that have traded a bit more idiosyncratically. But certainly, you know, that's something that I'm looking for in the first six months of this year is a decoupling at some point, especially when you're going to have institutional allocators asset managers, you know, hedge funds, we are going to look for asymmetrical upside and inflation and all of last year, I think has brought back 
a lot more symmetry to equities, rates, and other, while crypto still is an asset that could go much higher. So I, I suspect we'll fare better on that basis, and also on the fact that you know the the economic constraints are, are different than for most assets. Certainly, you know Ethereum, which has now turned deflationary, should should that should help also with that, uh, and the fact that the chain is getting so much usage even from layer twos. But yeah, that's certainly one of the things that I'm looking forward in the first in the next six months or so is further decoupling from crypto from other uh, risk assets. And while talking about other things in the ecosystem besides Bitcoin, I wanted to just touch on one more story here. According to multiple media reports, Microsoft is scaling back its metaverse ambitions, its virtual reality and augmented reality teams bore the brunt of recent heavy job cuts. That includes the entire team of Altspace VR, the pioneering virtual spaces platform Microsoft bought back in 2017. Microsoft says it will direct more toward more resources toward its mixed reality platform, Microsoft Mesh. This cut comes at a time when Apple is setting itself up for a battle with Meta with its new VR AR headset product. You know, this is interesting. We do see all of these sort of divergent uh, aspects of what's happening here in the sort of decentralized digital asset space. One of them is VR, uh, AR metaverse type technologies. It's not entirely clear how all of this is going to integrate together. I guess the clearest thing that we can say is uh, that folks who have a passion for digital assets tend to be interested in the metaverse, uh, but it is kind of an interesting time to see all of these stories, particularly with these very large publicly held uh, Silicon Valley giants entering and sometimes backing away, backing forward, backing away uh, into that space. Absolutely, and to be honest, um, like this story, how should I say, isn't all that surprising if you consider that the reports that Meta lost close to 10 billion uh, last year on their own Metaverse initiative. Um, right. the, the, the which they changed the their name to, of course, right? I mean, that's the that's a that's a <laughs> that's a pretty big sign that you're taking this bet seriously when you change the name of the company. Well, to be fair, they did change the name when it was more bullish, but <laughs> I don't think they can reverse that. Um, but I do think what's interesting is that the metaverse concept, and you know, again, you've had reports from many banks as to like the potential man man that it could be, like the potential like activity that could take place there. At some point. Undoubtedly, we it, it will it will make sense. The issue has been right now the product market fit isn't obvious, mm. and I think the same about NFTs, you know, digital um, owned um, property, or even GameFi. We are moving towards more serious games and engaging, you know, on on digital entertainment. I would say further and better. But so far, the nature of the games, the nature of things that we earn to play or, or play to earn, sorry, or, um, or, or any kind of like, even, yeah, like I said, NFTs also, it still remained pretty anecdotal. I think we'll move right. towards a lot, lot better games, a lot more adoption, and that's going to become a, a force in itself that is going to drive a particular segment of the crypto and digital asset space. Yeah, very well said. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's nearly time for some viewer questions, but before that, for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to all Real Vision crypto content, and it's always free. On Friday, we released Rao's interview with Punk6529. In two and a half hours, they cover the open metaverse, the importance of memes, the impact of AI, the meaning of life, and what the hell 6529 is up to right now. Check it out. It's proving very popular with our visionaries. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Uh, okay, with that, onto our questions for Benoit. And there are a lot and they're good ones. The first one comes to us from one of our regular viewers, Ralph H on the Real Vision website. Did I understand Benoit correctly that his clients uh, in the market making business are the protocols? Could he flesh that out a little bit more? Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. Um, and again, that's a different because in traditional markets, you wouldn't have um, you wouldn't have Apple, Google, Microsoft, or any other contracting market makers. Those are typically um, prop firms, prop proprietary trading firms that are taking on that role. Here, um, it's it's a little bit different, but it's a lot more akin to what happens maybe when someone as a launch to market, which uh, in equities is going to be a process called IPO, initial public offering. Here, it, in the, in like the token launch, it is about making sure that the that the protocol can find the right way to create liquidity that will allow it to distribute its token to people who want to purchase them. Yeah. By the way, I should say I am watching both chats on the Real Vision website and on YouTube, and it's always great to see uh, folks jumping in. So if you have any questions, please uh, don't be shy about diving in and asking. Here's a follow-up from Ralph, and it's an interesting one. I assume that Benoit's firm uses futures to hedge market-making activities. We'll confirm that. Uh, does he foresee any crypto futures other than Bitcoin and ETH becoming available? Interesting question, Benoit. Uh so, so while I described our way of market making, obviously on Bitcoin and ETH, because precisely there are futures, but also, and I think that's one of the most important instruments in crypto compared to traditional market, perpetual futures. And I'll explain in a, in a second. On Bitcoin and Ethereum, anyone could be a market maker in a more proprietary sense that I was referring to. Mm. So you will have, you know, firms like, so some of the firms that may be active in traditional market that could make market in Bitcoin and ETH. For most protocols, when they launch a new token, there isn't a future market. And there probably will not be, right? The future dated market is pretty limited to Bitcoin, ETH. At some point we had Solana, but there's very few uh, such protocols. The perpetuals, there's more of them, although FTX was one of the main venues for trading yes. those. So suddenly liquidity there has reduced somewhat, but um, we've seen that match spot in the past year. But for most protocols, like those perpetual futures even, 
don't exist at immediately. They don't exist at launch time. They will come later. And then they become instruments that you can use to help uh, facilitate liquidity. But again, you will have a, a supply demand issue in terms of the funding rate that you might pay to keep those positions on. I don't want to get into it too much as it gets complex, but um, but I would say that like as my answer therefore would be no, those are not instruments that are routinely used as part of the market making because precisely of those constraints. So we will use just liquid tokens to market make, which is why we need to be contracted by a protocol. Let me jump here around a little bit. This actually alludes to a, a point that we were talking about a little bit earlier, Benoit. Uh, this is Etato1 on YouTube. How would crypto react in a state of recession? Interesting question. We were obviously talking about this uh, earlier with central banks. Uh, how do you think about the relationship between the business cycle and the asset cycle in cryptocurrency? Well, I think we've seen some of it already play out in that um, as disposable income becomes more valuable or more rare certainly like you know uh, you've seen outflows from crypto and people are spending less or investing less on, on crypto so that's the first phase where that is very much true of all uh, risk assets and what's happening with at, at that time is a higher correlation between things like nasdaq and crypto now once you get into like you know after that phase once it's accepted that there is a recession or there is like you know inflation or economic constraint i believe that's when crypto once it has found its footing which hopefully is kind of like the basis that we've reached at the end of last year and the kind of rally that we are seeing now is because as people look for assets that have retained some sense of upside then you might want to do it in crypto because crypto last year say for bitcoin or, or ethereum may have lost you know 60 70 80 percent of its value so the potential on the rally would be to do two three four five x well you don't just don't have the same kind of returns in other asset classes so at this stage i'd expect crypto to outperform on the basis of allocations mm -hmm. We have time for one more question. I'm always impressed by the, the questions that we get from our viewers. These are folks who really are watching these markets closely. This one comes to us from JM on YouTube. Has the disappearance of liquidity providers like Alameda and others from the crypto markets impacted overall liquidity and trade execution? Great question, JM. Certainly, and Alameda um, was one of our main competitors, right, uh, in terms of in terms of market making, but also providing liquidity. Certainly following FTX and following now the events with Genesis, you've seen much reduced liquidity across exchanges, on all venues, across all tokens. And that impacts the capacity to execute any kind of trade. And certainly also will exacerbate volatility and short-term moves, some of which might be what's also leading to this slightly uh, faster than expected rally that we're experiencing as the crypto asset grows and going back above one trillion i think was an was an important milestone you i'd expect liquidity to resume and to come back certainly for ourselves like you know it's been an opportunity to step up and 
help for those clients and for like you know in situations where we felt like we could help making sure that the liquidity needs were met and that there wasn't too much of an impact but yes it has been more challenging for the entire industry hopefully something right. that again like disappears as we rally and what fantastic conversation great having you here on real vision i hope you can join us again before you go give us your final thoughts and key takeaways from this conversation it's it's interesting to see um it's it's always very interesting because Real Vision has such a broad spectrum of viewers. So I get a lot from those questions, as you mentioned, and interesting to see the interplay between other risk assets and what's happening in crypto. And I think that's really something that I want to, you know, keep my eyes on for the next six months is how do we perform relatively? How do we perform in this new macro environment? And can we move past all of those uh, I don't want to say, you know, all, all of those issues with like all of those crypto firms that have had, you know, credit or other criminal thing like FTX or like issues like Genesis, which again is very different. But really, we just need to move to a better world for crypto. And, and I think we'll outperform other asset classes on that basis. Yeah, Benoit, to your point, I'm interested in uh, many of those points as well. Cross-asset correlation, uh, also these, this broader sort of cyclicality of the industry, uh, whether it remains a risk on asset. And finally, I would say the points that we were talking about earlier, I find so interesting. These ideas of the, the segregation of services and the aggregation of services that we see in crypto and how those are going to be divided up in the future. I think those are uh, really interesting questions. Really terrific conversation. Thank you so much again for joining us, Benoit. Really enjoyed this. My pleasure. Thank you. For those of you watching on YouTube, if you're not a Real Vision Crypto subscriber yet, don't forget, it's free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto and subscribe and hit the notification bell here for good measure as well. That way you will always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Meta Law Man. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto daily briefing. Have a great day, everybody. Ooh.